0: Open your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, Luke's Gospel chapter 15, Luke's Gospel chapter 15. We're going to be looking, beginning in verse 1 in just a moment. As you turn there, uh, I, I need to help us understand this passage, though it's familiar to most of us gathered into this place this morning. We need to understand that we're really looking at a passage that when, when, when Jesus told the parable of the, of the younger rebellious brother and the elder brother and the lavish love of the father, when he told that parable, I mean, it was not received like we receive it. It was not heard like we hear it. There was a definite difference in the culture of the people of that day and the culture in which we have grown up in. And in fact, even if you're a Christian our culture uh, that we have grown up in is radically different from the hearers of those who heard this very parable that we're going to be looking at and focusing on in just a few moments. Now, to, to help us to understand a little bit about this, I'm, I'm going to draw my, my childhood growing up in South Alabama. Primarily, there are two major cultures in the state of Alabama. There is the University of Alabama culture, which there's more of them, admittedly, and then there's the Auburn culture, the Auburn University culture, okay? Now, those cultures, those people can be looking at the same exact event. They can hear two words that describe that event and have totally two different responses and reactions to that. Now, Uh, In 1985, going into the Iron Bowl, uh, there uh, was a two-game winning streak that Auburn was enjoying. Okay, Momentum was on Auburn's side. Bear Bryant had passed away. There was a new day on the horizon for Auburn fans. Things were looking really good. Alabama had not had their best year that year. They came into the Iron Bowl and it would have been an upset for them to have beaten Auburn that year. It came down to the final play. That kind of sounds familiar. It came down to the final play and a young man by the name of Van Tiffin went back to attempt a 52-yard field goal. There's no way he's going to make it. At least Auburn fans were Hoping so. Alabama fans. In fact, they've got pictures. They're football players down on bended knee. They're praying that he's going to make that thing or whatever. And so he goes back and he kicks that, uh, that ball. And it goes to the uprights. Alabama wins. And those of us my age and a little bit older and those uh, that are my age and a little bit younger can hear the words to this day, Van Tiffen. And if you're an Alabama culture person or you're an Auburn culture person, you hear the words Van Tiffen, but yet you have a totally different experience because you're from two different cultures. And that's the way when we look at this particular passage this morning, We are from a different culture than the original recipients, the original hearers of this passage. And we need to know something of that culture. And before we go any further, we need to do something more important. We need to stop and pray. Because what what I had to share with us this morning, I pray God will use in a mighty way to help us to know God the Father in a greater way. You know, so often we talk about the worship service, and we speak of worship as, as, as singing. But folks, I'm telling you, worship should never cease at the singing. Preaching should lead us to worship. We should see the goodness of God in a fresh way through the preaching of His Word. And we should be reproved and we should be corrected and we should should repent we should be touched at the depths and the levels of our heart so that we can genuinely be changed the depths of our being, not just superficial actions on the outside. But that's what happens when we see God for who He is and we value Him as He is. So let's go to the Lord in prayer at this time. Father, I pray by Your grace and mercy not to make me look good, dear God, but in Your name, that your person would be magnified. That, Lord, today, that we would have a fresh sense of your beauty and your goodness. And that beauty and goodness would reach into the depths of our hearts. And we we would be changed afresh, Lord God. I ask that, Lord God, mercifully, that you would speak to us this morning that your name would be glorified and that we would not just be hearers of your word, but doers. And all God's people said, Amen. Okay, I want to I talk to us this morning about several things about that culture. First of all, this parable is given in response to the Pharisees. The primary recipients of the parable of the, the younger brother, the elder brother, and the good and gracious father... Is, is, is the Pharisees. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not to benefit from it. We are tremendous beneficiaries of this, this beautiful parable we're going to be looking at. But we need to understand the context. First of all, beginning in uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, we see the context. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear him, that is Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes... Um, Grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. So he tells them the parable of the lost sheep. He tells them the parable of the lost coin. And then he tells them the parable of, of what we normally call uh, the parable of the prodigal God, uh, son. But there's more there than that. It's the story of the, the younger son, the younger brother, and the elder brother, and the gracious father. And so he does that in response uh, to the Pharisees. Second, this is a Hebraic culture. And in a Hebraic culture, uh, they yielded to what is commonly known today as the honor culture. Honor culture. There was nothing more important than family. There was nothing more important than the community and village. There is nothing more important than national identity. And you say, well, where's God fit into that? Well... You honored God by honoring your family, not disappointing your your parents, your elders, doing exactly what they expected of you to do. And if you did something else, if you chose a different vocation in your life and you went in a different direction without their blessing and everyone, you dishonored them. Not only did you dishonor them, you dishonored the community. And specifically in this particular parable, we need to understand that the the, uh, father the gracious father would have been esteemed in the community. He was most likely the major employer in the community. He would have been looked to. He would have been valued. And to dishonor that father, the whole community would look at the uh, rebellious younger son, the younger brother, and they would have looked on him with disdain. And so he broke family relationships. Because he broke family relationships, he offended the community. He also offended his national identity his national identity. And doing those things, he offended God. Third, the grace that is portrayed in this parable, the grace that is portrayed in this, it's extremely offensive. You look and say, well, that's not offensive. But if we understand something of the context, it is offensive. It was offensive in the sense that the younger brother was forgiven and he was restored without merit. He didn't have to pay anything. He couldn't work to earn his way back in. It was freely given to him. Also, it was offensive to the people that were listening. The Pharisees, when they were hearing this story, most of us, when we read the parable of the restoration of the younger son, tears come to our eyes. But those people who were standing in front of Jesus, they were getting blood red. They were were angry. This was totally offensive to them and their culture. And by the way, it was probably offensive to Jesus' disciples. And we need to understand something about grace. Grace can be offensive to us. Grace can be uncomfortable for us. Grace can be uh, something that, that we can have definite problems with. Uh, the word "prodigal" is not mentioned in this particular passage, but it's associated with the passage that we're going to be looking at from verses 11 through 32. And and Merriam-Webster's Collegiate Dictionary defines it as reckless spendthrift. A reckless spendthrift. It means to spend until you have nothing left. This term is therefore an appropriate for describing. The father, you thought I was going to say the younger son. The father, this is one of the reasons why it was so offensive to the Pharisees. This father, we're going to see it, we're going to read it in just a moment. This father was so lavish in the restoration of his son. They would have said, that man's crazy for restoring his son. He's reckless. He is the prodigal. The father's welcome to the repentant son was literally reckless because he refused to reckon or count his sin, the son's sin, against him and demand repayment. He divides the estate by a third, lets the son go. And to be able to put, this is, this is an agricultural uh, uh, economy. Okay, He didn't have bonds and things so he could just take things out of the bank and give it to him. I mean, he had to liquidate his operation so he could take the money and pass it on to his son. And so it brought great, great distress economically, not only to the father, but to the whole community. Now, now, we're going to look at Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. Let's begin in verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the son gathered all he had and took a journey into the far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And... When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out uh, uh, to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. So he's going into a foreign country. He's employing himself uh, with uh, something that was associated nationally with unclean and would have been rejected and would have brought disgrace as a Jewish person it would have brought tremendous disgrace. In verse 16, And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything to eat. Now, the younger brother is a description of basically the younger brother and the elder brother, a description of two kinds of ways people generally try to find salvation. They try to find life. First of all, the younger brother, religion. It represents a person who's going to do it by his own rules and his own way. That person's theme song is, I did it my way. Okay? I mean, I, admittedly, I like to listen to that song. It kind of makes me feel powerful and, and yeah. But when I really did think about it, Oh, I thank God that He's helped me to see that's such a delusion. We never approach God on our own terms. We never live life on our own way. If we do, we're we're headed for trouble. When you say, you know what? Not everybody, John, that that, that basically lives according to their own code of ethics and 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 that. There is morality about that, absolutely. But they're missing the essence of what it's all about. The essence of what it's all about is a relationship with the Father. This young man was saying, I don't need you, Father. I'm going my own way. And when he asked for his inheritance, basically he was saying, I wish you were dead. You see, the thing that the younger brother was more interested than anything was the father's stuff. He didn't care about the father. He wanted his stuff. Life is all about stuff for the younger son kind of people. And by the way, uh, you you don't have to be just a totally irreligious person to be uh, like this. Lots of times, you can be a religious person and very much be... About the stuff. We'll see that in just a little bit. The bottom line is this. How many of you have ever grown up in a place you didn't appreciate? Or maybe a home that you didn't appreciate? Maybe you grew up in a small town like I did in Bruton, Alabama. And you said, one day I'm going to get away from this city. One day, I'm going to make a name for myself. One day, I'm going to get away from mom and dad, and I am going to live. And I'm going to enjoy myself one day. And one day, you got away. One day, you grew up. One day, you realized you had responsibilities. One day, you look back and you said, my gracious, I don't know how my mom and dad did it. I don't know how they loved me. I'm just amazed with them, all of a sudden you saw your mother and dad and your family in a way you hadn't seen them before and you appreciated them. You see, the, brother, the younger brother was alienated. He didn't appreciate his father. He didn't see the value, the goodness of the father. And he walked away from that. Well, let's pick up in our reading. Let's look in uh, verses 25. Excuse me, 17 through 30. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him. Let me just stop right there. All of a sudden, he sees in his father something he had never seen All of a sudden, he saw a beauty, a goodness in his father, something to be desired. He looked at his father, and he saw that his father treated the hired servants of the community, not his servants in the household or on the farm. He's talking about just the people he would hire occasionally. And he said, you know what? My dad is a good man. He is gracious even to the people he doesn't have to be gracious to. He saw the goodness of his father. And seeing the goodness and the value and the beauty of the Father, his heart was changed. Now, now, I would say there there was something miraculous that happened to him. We get a hint of that in verse 17 when it says, But when he came to himself. All of a sudden, he had an enlightenment. All of a sudden, he saw something he had never seen. He was once, once he was blind, but now he can see. And so, it goes on. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. That's interesting that he, he, he says in that verse right there that acknowledges that his sins are not just against people here, but first and foremost, his sin is ultimately against God. Verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he, you remember, he's already rehearsed this line. He's going to get in there. He's going to say, hey, I'm going to work in the community. I'm not going to work under your household. I'm going to work like one of your hired servants out there. And I'm going to pay you back. The father interrupts him because the father will have nothing to do with his effort to restore himself to the father. There's no way he could have done it anyway. So the father interrupts him. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field and and as he came and drew near to the house he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked uh, what that, uh, these things meant and he said to him your brother has come home and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound but he was angry and that's the Elder brother. He was angry and refused to go in. His father came out. By the way, the father came out to the younger brother. Now he's coming out to the elder brother. But, but he was angry and refused to go in. But his, and his father came out and entreated and, and him. And, and he answered his father Look, these many years I have served you. I never. "'Disobeyed your command. "'Yet you never gave me a young goat "'that I might celebrate with my friends. "'But when this son of yours, "'who has devoured your property with prostitutes, "'you killed the fattened calf for him. "'And he said to him, "'Son, you are always with me, "'and all that is mine is yours. "'It was fitting to celebrate and be glad.' For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Now, time won't allow me to deal sufficiently with this passage completely and totally, but let me just mention several things about the characteristics of elder brother religion. Elder brother religion. We looked at uh, the younger brother religion. We're looking at the elder brother religion. In verse 29, he said, Look these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command. His whole basis of standing, his whole basis of justification in life is an issue of obedience. If you just obey enough, you deserve better treatment. You merit treatment from the Father. Elder. Brother religion has that attitude. Now, this is an extreme example of that, but many times people don't act it out quite like this, but in the depths of their heart, they fall into this thing, elder brother religion. You think your basis in standing before God is based on your performance and your obedience and your morality. But you know what? Some atheist and secularist that I have met basically had the same kind of Pharisaical attitude. If you don't meet their particular uh, prescription of what morality is, if you don't meet their particular prescription of what they believe it is uh, to have a good standing in the community, if you don't meet their particular prescription, for what it is to have the right beliefs and the right behavior. Call it political correctness or whatever it is. They are just as much of a Pharisee as a person from a religious background. They'll look down their nose. They'll despise people. See, it's not just limited to those in the religious community. And this elder son, his biggest problem is amazing. His biggest problem is his own goodness. He did what was right. He stayed close. Close, in parentheses. He stayed close. He did what he was supposed to do. But you know what we see in this passage? There is a pretense of being close, but yet your heart is very far away. In this passage right here, we see this attitude this young man has toward the father. It's not one of love and empathy. If it was love for his father, he was there staying close because he loved his father, he cared about his father. He wouldn't have been so upset because he knows that this is the happiest day of his father's life. And that which made the father happy would have made him happy if he really truly cared about the father. See, the problem with the younger, younger brother was that the younger brother prized the stuff. But the elder brother had the same exact problem. He wanted the father's stuff. But in order to get the father's stuff, he was going to stay and do the right things and live up to the right expectations and do everything. And so, therefore, what really gets in his way is his own self-righteousness and his obsession, his idolatry, with the Father's stuff. He's just as guilty. You know, religious people, religious people can have a problem with using God to get what they want. If I just pray enough, if I just live the right life, if I just do this, if I I come to church, if I do this, then God's going to give me what I want. I've seen many a person come to me on a Sunday. Their marriage is falling apart. All of a sudden, a husband who hasn't been in church in three years all of a sudden shows up. They meet you in the office. They want to get things straightened out. And the, and the, and the, and the, and the wife is just fed up. She just can't take it anymore. And, and, the, and the husband says, I'm going to change. I'm willing to change. There's tears. There's all kinds of remorse. Things look so good for the next six months, maybe close to a year. But something happens. And often time, if not most of the time, what happens is there was a superficial change in the heart of the husband. He did everything he was supposed to do. He tried, he changed, but after a while there was no genuine heart change. He went back to his old ways. A lot of us try to use God that same way. The primary motivation of an elder brother is the same as that of the younger brother. They're seeking the possession and the power. Tim Keller in his book, by which uh, influenced my life tremendously, The Prodigal God. You can write that down. I would encourage you. It's a, it's a small read. It's, it's, it's a powerful read. Tim Keller says this, Elder brothers are moral only for their own benefit. They may be kind to others, and helpful to the poor. But at the deeper level, they are doing it either so God will bless them in the religious version of the elder brotherness, or so they can think of themselves as virtuous, charitable persons in the secular version of it. Here's a story that illustrates this. Once upon a time, there was a gardener. Listen, if you've not been listening, you need to hear this, okay? Once upon a time, There was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. He took it to the king and said, My lord, this is the greatest carrot I have ever grown or ever will grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. The king was touched and discerned the man's heart. So as he turned to go, the king said, Wait, you are clearly a good steward of the earth. I own a plot of land right next to yours. I want to give it to you freely as a gift so you can, can garden it all. And the garden was amazed and delighted and went home rejoicing. But there was a nobleman at the king's court who overheard all of this. And he said, my, if that's what you get for a carrot, what if you gave the king something better? So the next day the nobleman came before the king and he was He was leading a handsome black stallion. He bowed low and said, My Lord, I breed horses, and this is the greatest horse I've ever bred or ever will. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king discerned his heart and said, Thank you, and took the horse and merely dismissed him. The nobleman was perplexed. So the king said, Let me explain. That gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. See, his whole motivation was not for the goodness of the king. It was totally selfish. Keller goes on and says, Elder brothers expect their goodness to pay off. And if it doesn't, there is confusion and rage. If you think goodness and decency is the way to merit, a good life from God, you will be eaten up with anger since life never goes as we wish. You will always feel that you are owed more than you are getting. Now, there is a better elder brother gospel. The better elder brother gospel. That word gospel. Where's the good news in this? Well, there's a lot of good news here. Prodigals can come home. Prodigals can come home. I don't know if you've ever had to tell somebody that you were wrong and ask their forgiveness. But there are sometimes people in my life. That I've had through the years and currently do to this day, that when I've wronged them, once I get past my pride, they sure do make it easy for me to come home. They sure do make it easy for me to turn to them and say, I'm sorry, I've hurt you, I've sinned against God. Sin against you. Will you forgive me? Maybe your image of God today is one who's standing at the door, and if you did come home, he'd be standing there with his arms folded and saying, it's about time. Boy, do I have plans for you. Get out there in the field. You're going to earn it. You're going to pay for it. You turn to God. You generally turn to the God who is. He will not greet you that way. He will not greet you that way. There's good news. We can come home. And the amazing thing, we're accepted in forgiveness, not on the basis of our own personal merit. We can't earn our way back. This passage teaches us also the good news of a better elder brother. The parable leaves us with something lacking when it gets through here. It's noticeably lacking. In the first two parables, the parables of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin, somebody went after the sheep. Somebody went after the coins. But in this passage, nobody goes after the the younger son. In the account of Cain and Abel, God told Cain, Cain, you are your brother's keeper. It would have been the responsibility in this culture for the elder brother to go after his younger brothers and family members and sisters. But in this account, nobody went. see, the Bible teaches us that Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus is the better elder brother. Thank God we don't have an elder brother like the one that's told in this parable. Amen. He gladly left his home. He gladly left his home. You see, this elder brother, the elder brother in this parable... He begrudged his brother coming back. You know why he begrudged the brother coming back? Because when, when 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 the younger brother left, he lost a third of the estate, his father's estate. Now that he comes back, the father reinstates him. The father reinstates him. And, and, and the younger brother is going to have a third of the estate again. You know who that third came from? The elder brother. It was at his expense. You see, forgiveness is never free. Restoration is never free. But I want us to see a contrast here. That elder brother in this parable begrudged it. The better elder brother, Jesus Christ, does not begrudge the payment of his going to the cross for you. He gladly bore that pain, that agony that he went through. The Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He did that for everyone who would turn and believe and trust in him. Will you not see the truth of who God truly is? He shouts today from his word. He beckons to you and he says, come home. I paid the price. Will you turn? where you turn from that which you saw as good and you had to pursue and you thought it was the greatest good, I'm going to be on my own, I'm going to do with life as I want to do, I'm going to write my own roles, that is the greatest goodness of life and turning under his wonderful glorious lordship who's an infinite mind and knows what's best for you and he can lead and guide your life and he has paid a wonderful price so that you could come back. stories told, Edmund Clowney recounts, he's deceased, long deceased, some 20 years ago or so. He shared this story. He recounts, recounts the true story of a young man who was a U.S. soldier missing in action during the Vietnam War. When the family could get no word of him through any official channel, the older son flew to Vietnam and risking his life, searched the jungles and the battlefields for his lost brother. It is said that despite the danger, he was never hurt because those on both sides had heard of his decision and respected his quest. Some of them simply called him the brother. This is what the elder brother in the parable Should have done. This is what the true elder brother. Jesus Christ. Has done. He would have said this. And quite literally he did. Father. My younger brother has been a fool. And now his life is in ruins. But I will go back for him. And bring him home. And if the inheritance is gone. As I expect. I'll bring him back into the family at my own expense. Indeed, it is only at the elder brother's expense that the younger brother can be brought back in. Because as Jesus said, the father has divided his property between them before the younger son had left. Everything had been assigned. It had already been assigned out, divided out. The younger brother had gotten his one-third portion, and it was completely gone. Now when the father says to the elder brother, my son, everything I have is yours, that is literally the truth. Every penny that remained of the family estate belonged to the elder brother. Every robe, every ring, every fattened calf was his by right. we saw where the younger brother was restored. He was restored with the robe. He was restored with the ring. He was restored with the celebration of the fattened calf. The true and better elder brother, Jesus Christ, has given for us who call Him as Lord and Savior, and who will turn to Him at this moment or today, if you will just but turn to Him and trust Him, He will restore you as a son. He will give you His robe. He will give you His ring of acceptance and place and status. He will do that for you at great expense. He has done it for each and every one of us who would choose to turn to Him and believe in Him. One last thing. Pharisees are really good. And by the way, I count myself as one who has problem being in a Pharisee and attitude quite often. Quite often. I mean daily. Pharisees are really good at looking at others and saying they should do this or they shouldn't do this. And Jesus speaks to the Pharisees in Matthew's Gospel and He tells them that you are good about putting burdens on people telling them you ought to do this and ought to do that and and not do this and do all this. But he says to those fairies, you will not lift one little finger to help them. If we are to be gripped by the spirit of the greater elder brother, Jesus Christ, who left the confines and the beauty of his heaven to come after those who are lost, came after me, came after you, brought us in, initiated that relationship with you. When you weren't even willing, or what, he turned you to him. All of a sudden, you saw him as beautiful. If he does that for you. Will you not also go after the lost brothers out there? who need to know Jesus. Will you go beyond? And will you lift yourself up out of your seats and go and vocalize a message about what Jesus Christ has done? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank You for Your Word. It's time together. To look, Lord God, and to to be gripped by such a tremendous story that represents amazing truth. Lord God, I thank you. Lord God, you you, you reveal hearts. And Lord, I, I was brought into a converting relationship with you because... Lord God, all of a sudden, by your grace, I saw you beautiful in a way that I'd never seen you before. Lord, I also, now that I've become a follower, some 25 years later, I find myself with such pharisaical attitudes. I find myself trying to justify myself as better. I find myself forgetting the gospel of how I actually got in good standing with you. Lord, help me to remember. Help my brothers and sisters gathered here today to remember. And help us, Lord God, to have mercy upon the elder brothers, those who are motivated by religion, motivated by their self-efforts, to find standing before you, May we be merciful and gracious to them. And Lord God, may we, by Your grace, go after our brothers, our kinsmen, that are lost, that don't know You. We have a responsibility. And may we be faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.